0: D20
1: Radio, your gamers role. wwwd 20 radiocom
0: Welcome to me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to me and Steve. What's up, Gamer Nation? Steve back in the house, along with Steve. Hey! And uh, we have a guest this week, but before we get to that, I want to take a quick minute to talk to you about our D20 Network Podcast of the Week, which this week is going to be the Genesis Archive, because that's actually what we're going to more or less spend most of the episode talking about in one form or another. But this is... It's a Genesis actual play podcast where a whole bunch of friends get together to play games. And, um, well, you can find it at anchor.fm slash the Genesis archives. And it is, let's call it a modern urban fantasy set in Las Vegas, but that's probably, I'll say that's selling it a little bit short. And to further explain that, I'd like to introduce our guest jonathan who is also the gm for this game and also has published the setting on the genesis foundry under the title the unseen world so jonathan welcome to me and steve thanks for having me so i guess in very short yes you know the unseen world is modern urban fantasy but it's more would you like to take off because i mean i've listened to some of it i'm i'm a bit behind but uh yeah, it's it's not what you think of when you think typical urban fantasy.
1: I'm curious what you think of when you think of typical urban fantasy.
0: Well, to me, initially, I think somewhat kind of World of Darkness, but also, you know, kind of Buffy-ish, that kind of thing. Okay.
1: Yeah. yeah, so I, I get a lot of inspiration from some of the, like, classic... Uh, Urban fantasy stuff like Buffy, Supernatural, The Dresden Files is a big one. But a lot of my influence for the unseen world also comes from just my love of folklore and mythology. And um, one thing that I've always been a bit disappointed in, like I love urban fantasy. It's one of my favorite genres. But one of the things I've been just a little disappointed in the genre with as I've explored more and more of it is that it falls into a lot of these modern cliches about supernatural creatures a lot of the time and ignores a lot of the really interesting folklore that is out there and so when i created the unseen world i really wanted to delve into the folkloric aspect that is possible with urban fantasy and so the unseen world is kind of a um it's kind of a setting where basically. Every mythology and, like, and folklore is true. They all, to one extent or another, they all exist in this world together. And along with that are these different um, like secret societies and organizations of supernatural origin that kind of move things behind the scenes. And there is this whole unseen world of people living lives with magic and, in a lot of cases, uh, murder and mayhem, that the regular world doesn't see largely because most people don't want to see. It's an idea that I've kind of taken from things like the Dresden Files, where people don't know magic is real because they don't want to believe it's real. They'd rather believe that they understand the world then accept the fact that like a monster could step out of the shadows any minute and swallow you up and you'd never be seen again.
0: Yeah, that's cool. That's that was the impression I had kind of gotten listening to the show is that you, you really did go into to, to put it in gamer terms, you went past the D and D mythology to a lot of the, you know, the original folklore and, you know, even some of even going back, you know, like Greek mythology and stuff to, to really, kind of dig into more of the the background of what the creatures and and species or races or whatever you want to call them that you're using
1: yeah i've just uh i it actually it's funny i when i was a little kid at a school like like an elementary school at a scholastic book fair i got this book called vampires werewolves and zombies and it's just this book that had a collection of like each page was a different monster from the folklore of different countries around the world. And that book fascinated me so much as a kid that it just kind of, like I, I even before that, I'd like fantasy in general. Like I read um, The Hobbit when I was eight, but that book specifically got me really fascinated with real world folklore, myth and legend, and really got me started on a love for just diving into the original stories of different cultures from around the world.
0: That's really cool. And so I take it that at some point, a, a love of gaming al- came along and then you melded the two. And
1: Yeah, it's funny with, with gaming. Um, so I had wanted to try D&D and other tabletop RPGs for years, but I just never had anyone to play with until about four years ago when I finally, like, found people who would play with me. And um, I was, like, I started with Fantasy Flight Games' Star Wars RPG and started with, like, the, like, pre-made adventures that they have and stuff. And um, and then once once I, like, figured out, like, that I could find people, then I just never stopped. And every, every friend I've made since then, I've kind of roped them uh, into into the hobby and when uh, when genesis was brand new i just love when they wait when they first announced genesis i was enamored with the idea of a setting that like you could build anything in and so when genesis was brand new first released i like just immediately started churning out like my own little settings that i posted on like the genesis forums and one of the very first ones was the. Um, what was then called The Hidden World, which was kind of the very proto-proto version of The Unseen World.
0: Well, that's really cool. I, I'm going to guess, yeah, so you haven't really been gaming all that long at this point then, because FFG Star Wars didn't come out until, what was it, 2012?
1: Yeah, no, I am comparatively new to gaming. Yeah, it's, it's It's only been about four years since I first started. Wow. Yeah, but I started out as a GM from the get-go, actually, because I found out that if I wanted to find people to play with me, um, I needed to set it up and be the one in charge because I couldn't find an already existing game master. So I've been a game master for pretty much like as long as I've been playing.
0: Well, thats I don't think that's an uncommon thing amongst those of us into, shall we say, the not massively popular games. Um, Cause I know that's, that's how I got my start GMing was I wanted to play a game that no one else wanted to run. Yeah. So I ran it.
1: <laughs> yeah. Most people just know D and D.
0: So, I mean, I don't even know where to start, but like, I I'm guessing it, you know, at that point you had, had spent a bunch of time reading, you know, assorted, be it folklore, you know, call it folklore, history books, whatever. And then at some point the idea came to well let's put it all together and make it a game like how did you approach that other than just well I like this and I like this and I like this so let's put it all together or was there more to it than that or
1: um so it started with the group that I play with um that that like the cast of the Genesis Archives um we had kind of had a like cyclical system that we st- that we started out with when we came together where basically we all were we were all at college together and so what I did is I would do a different campaign each semester and each semester was a different setting like we would try something new every semester and so like the very first semester we did Star Wars then our second semester was a Lord of the Rings campaign Um, and then the one after that was, like, a World of Warcraft-themed campaign, and then... I don't remember... Oh, and then the superhero campaign after that, and then after the superhero campaign, I think we... Yes, uh, somewhere in there between... We did a superhero campaign, we went back to Warcraft, and then we did Unseen World Season 1, and like originally we like we we recorded all of our seasons like just for fun originally, and then Caitlin came to me she's the Caitlin is our like main editor and person who does all of the like computer work um uh, all the, the <laughs> stuff the stuff that makes it so we can have an actual podcast um and she came to me and was like, "Hey, like we could make a podcast out of this and So when we went into Unseen World Season 1, which uh, at that point we weren't even sure if there was going to be a Season 2, so it was just our Unseen World campaign. So we set it up like it would be a podcast. And originally we were just going to, like, keep the cyclical thing, changing it up every time. Um, But the Unseen World just, like, sparked something in my brain when I was designing it, building it up from the original very bare-bones, like, hidden world uh, variant that I started with that like it, as I built it up it just sparked something in my brain and like I can get I, I have uh, ADHD so hyper focus is a thing that happens. I, I get hyper focus on things and I hyper focused on the unseen world more than I've hyper focused on pretty much anything and just like went wild with it and built it into this thing that became much more massive than I initially expected.
0: Well, that's, that's cool though. It, you know, it's like a, a fun origin to it. Yeah. Now I, I do want to ask a question and part of it is why Vegas? I mean, was it simply the, the fact that you can get away with darn near anything in Vegas? Like I've often said it, that I think Vegas was like the perfect place for them to set the the original CSI series because you can just have anything pop up because it's Vegas. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, that's kind of true. Um, there's there's a mix of reasons. One big one, because initially I, I did have, like, a couple things that I thought about picking. Like, New Orleans was on, like, the docket for, like, a bit as a possibility, because New Orleans very much has a very mystical side to it, um, even without, like, bringing in actual, like, fairies and demons and whatnot. But I realized that I personally can't, like, I couldn't, feel like I was being genuine running a game set in New Orleans, for example, because I don't know New Orleans. Vegas is my hometown. I've lived in Vegas since I was eight years old, and I know this town better than I know any other. And so it just, like, just the the feel of Vegas was perfect for the unseen world, and I knew Vegas, and so it was kind of just like a perfect concurrence of coincidences um that came together to result in us setting the uh, the campaign in Vegas.
0: Cool. So yeah, that well that's you know that's something that, that I've heard from a lot of people with with their world building processes that that they really did kind of you know they just went with so to speak what was familiar and kept it really close to that and so that if nothing else it provides them a point of reference where They don't have to think hard about, say, the geography, or or like you said, you know, you know the city that's where you grew up. So that part of it is just stored in your regular brain. You don't have to store a whole bunch of other made-up information in your brain, so to speak.
1: Yeah, and like, and I wanted, I wanted this, I wanted the unseen world to feel like, like, obviously it's fake. Like, it's wizards and fairies and monsters and stuff, but I wanted it to, like, have a bit of authenticity to it so you could almost believe it's real and like i couldn't get that authenticity from any other city because i don't know the like the people or the neighborhoods and the like vibe of other cities like enough to really give it that authenticity anywhere else
0: okay now the other thing i wanted to ask because i've kind of struggled a little bit and maybe it's just because I listen to podcasts while I'm working and so I may occasionally miss a minute here or two, you know what I mean? But I'm assuming in the the material you've published thus far on the Foundry that at least most of like your your archetypes that your players are using in season one are there. But like what you know what type of you know archetypes or you know in most games they call them classes and 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 species or race or whatever you want to call them. What what did you build for the unseen world
1: so for archetypes and careers so the archetypes i put in so there are like several human variants like the ones that are already in the base game like you've got like the laborer and the intellectual and whatnot so to give you a variety of options if you wanted to play human but then there are all of the other archetypes are basically human plus there's no like you can't really play an entirely different species in the Unseen World, because every, like, humans are unique in that of all of the different entities that exist, humans have free will. Like, a fairy cannot lie. They cannot, it is impossible for them to do so. They do not have the ability to choose otherwise. And similarly, like, a demon cannot choose to be a good person. Demons are naturally evil. And, like, so all of these supernatural entities, they lack what humans have. But you can have situations where humans and, like, supernatural entities end up having children together, and you have people that are part human and part something else. So you can have someone who is, like, half human and half demon, or half human and half fairy. And those are both kind of broad classifications. There's different types of demons, different types of fairies and whatnot, and different types of other magical entities that can have children with humans. Like, there's the classic, like, Zeus situation where uh, a god and a human have kids and results in a demigod. Um, but basically, so the archetypes are humans and various types of half human, half something else.
0: Aha. That explains a few things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because listening to the show, it's like you've got this. the The PCs are, you know, you've got. I guess, yeah. Are they all demi humans? I guess then would be the appropriate term.
1: Some of them are the the kind of catch all term that I use is scion for like half human, half supernatural. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've got uh, without spoiling uh, without spoiling stuff like Caden and Rian are. Both human. They do not have any like um, fairy blood or demon blood or any of that, though Caden has his own situation going on.
0: Now, trying to remember uh, which, which one is the one with the, the sensory issues?
1: That is, yeah, Caden is our, uh, our cowboy hunter character um, who has a bit of a disability with his sensory problems
0: which, by the way, I, I think that's a really unique thing that I don't know if that was player's idea or yours or some... That
1: was, that was his idea. It was, yeah, Aaron or Baron, as we call him, because uh, we used to have another uh, Aaron in the group. Um, Baron is a... He's excellent with his character design. Um, every single one of the PCs he's made in our various campaigns have been excellent, and Caden is one of his best. And, yeah, we... I work with everyone when they're making their characters to help integrate them into the overall campaign better to kind of tie their backstories into the events of the campaign. But like all of the stuff with his characterization and his disability and everything were all his idea.
0: Well, that's really cool. And yeah, I don't want to to spoil too much, you know, if, if people haven't gone and listened to the show, because you know, like I find it, Like I said, initially my gut, well, it's, it's urban fantasy. and, And I'm kind of like you said, there's so much of it is just so cliched. It's kind of like, I listen, I'm like, okay, this is all right. But then I got distracted and whatever. And then I came back to it and I started listening to more episodes and it's like, oh, wait, no, this is, this is definitely much more than your typical, you know, just surface level. Disney or or D&D version of all this lore this is diving into some of the you know the old folklore tales and 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 some of that and really you know playing off that
1: one of my favorite examples of that in the unseen world is what i call the the, the court of blood which is the like worldwide vampire faction but it's comprised of a bunch of different types of vampires from across the world that have all kind of banded together to become this greater faction because it's there's more to vampires than just your stereotypical like dracula buffy DD, twilight vampires like so many countries around the world have their own unique type of vampire so it's fun to kind of explore some of those different variants
0: that's cool because it, it popped into my head here have you like studied some of these mythologies more in depth other than just what do you want to say intensely recreationally for for the gaming purposes like is this something you you know took some classes in at school or um
1: i i have taken a bit i haven't taken taken like a bunch of classes because uh, most of my classes classes have had to be focused on like uh like required and stuff But yeah, a lot of basically all of my like elective classes I've done in college are either creative writing courses or stuff focused on like uh, like other religions and mythologies and stuff.
0: That's cool. So and Steve, by the way, feel free to chime in here at any point. I know I'll just talk his four year off if you don't. So
1: (laughs) yeah, I know I've been I I, I can also ramble.
0: No, you're you're pretty much ahead of me. You're asking the questions that. (laughs) (laughs) to jump in and ask something (laughs) so like do you pretty much then have you pretty much come to your players with the world or at least initially was there you know like a big kind of like session zero type thing and you went oh you want to do this so okay well you know and and, then that shot you off down a trail or
1: yeah so um the overall world was entirely my creation but like how i determined how things would go in the campaign was very much based on like based on everyone else at the table like um i don't even remember entirely anymore what season one was originally going to be (laughs) but i had a, a couple of different ideas and then i saw that a lot like a lot of the people had ideas for their characters that were all tied into the same overall theme. They all had a... I don't, this isn't too big of a spoiler. They all had connections to the Fae. And so that, like, seeing seeing how many of them had that similar connection, I was like, all right, well, I guess we're starting off with a very Fae-centric story as kind of the overarching story of season one. And so that's kind of how that came about. And then season two, uh, like, and actually, then each, each of the seasons afterward have been very much focused on kind of delving into a particular PC's, like, background and, like, kind of their side of the world and stuff. Like, season two is very tied into Voltaire, and Voltaire's backstory and his whole deal,
0: yeah, I, I like Voltaire. Voltaire amuses me,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Voltaire is very fun. Uh, I also have fun uh, as Joan kind of poking at Voltaire.
0: That was something I did want to ask you about because the party NPC or GMPC, or whatever a lot of people want to call them is is something that gets debated a fair amount, you know, in the gaming community. And uh, you know, I I noticed that that you have Joan in there as as basically a whatever you want to call that type of character who's who's constantly with the party. You know, how did how did that come about? Was it kind of a a plot safety device, or was it something you intended all along? Or
1: that's something that I've just always done in all of my campaigns. I I always have a like kind of a PC of my own that I put in there. And I have them there largely to kind of help build all of the, help build everyone's individual stories. Because I can have things like Voltaire is a bit of a narcissist. And so Joan can act as a um, a foil for Voltaire by kind of poking at, poking at him and kind of pointing out his flaws to him. Um, which kind of helps develop his character somewhat. And um, she has a connection to Caden that really fleshes out his character that I can't go into a lot because there's some heavy spoilers involved with that. And I've just found that having someone with the party really helps to kind of help play off everyone's um, different stories and develop everyone's characters and kind of create the best narrative. That's fair. That works with me. Um, I don't think it would work with everyone. Everyone has their own style. And I do know that a lot of times people use, uh, like, the, the there's a reason why there's a stigma attached to the GMPC, because a lot of people do misuse it, where they try to make the GMPC, like, the main character of the story or um, where they like try to make them like the center of everything. But before I be- like started playing RPGs, I was like, I-, I was a writer and I'm used to not having like, I- I'm used to playing with different characters and none of them being um, the like, uh, like uh, brain collect thoughts.
0: You having like multiple main characters, or not a central main character, something like that.
1: Yeah, and like, uh, so the I think the like the issue that comes it, with GM PCs a lot is that like it's a GM thinking like, oh, I like I'm not playing unless I have a person in the group and I want to play. Whereas I kind of come at it from a perspective of like how do I create the best narrative for everyone? Mm -hmm. And, um, focusing on creating the best story rather than like, Ooh, Ooh, Ooh. Like I want, like, it's my turn to play.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No. And like the, through the, I'm what, three or four arcs into, into campaign one. And, and I mean, to me listening to it in a lot of ways, easy to forget that, that your character is there along other than you know, occasionally she does something that that kind of you know, and, and I don't know if this is again something you you occasionally do as a plot device where, oh yeah, they're in a little over their head, and, and not that she like steals the show in any way, but she has this little thing that she can do that makes the situation closer to manageable for the rest of the crew, which I think is a neat way to handle things. And in, in that, what do you want to say? Like I'm I'm specifically thinking of of um the card game situation in the end of, um, I think it was the second or third arc.
1: Yes. Uh, the, the, the poker game.
0: Yes. You know, and, and like I said, it, it was kind of like you used your character to facilitate the rest of the characters being able to solve the, the problem. You know, it wasn't, Oh, look, here's my character and they're going to fix it. It was more like your character did a thing that let everyone else fix it.
1: Yeah, that's uh, that was that's a lot of um, Joan, especially uh, is kind of her thing because uh, I because she's a spellcaster with who focuses largely on like support type spells. She does shields, and illusions, and stuff. And I, yeah, I just think it's fun to be able to have uh, have someone who kind of helps bring out everyone else's skills.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, and I, I think that's that's cool. Now, the other thing that that I know, and I know you've published a a little supplement on this, that that you handled a lot differently than most other games, is is the issue of of monies. Is that part of the Unseen World Book, or is that just in the little standalone thing that you did in addition to that?
1: Yeah, it is also in the Unseen World Book. I created the like the I created like the wealth book specifically. Um, separate from the Unseen World book because I figured that the wealth rule that I developed would work for a lot of settings beyond just the Unseen World. And I wanted to kind of throw that out there for anyone who wanted to use it, even if they didn't want to spend like the full $10 to get the the Unseen World with everything that comes with it. So I kind of just wanted to make that available to anyone who wanted it. Um, which is why I made that separate for, like, a book. But yeah, the wealth rule I came up with when I was doing The Unseen World, because in the modern world, we don't really acquire money um, the same way, like, fantasy adventurers do. Uh, we don't raid dungeons and stuff. Like, typically, you have a day job. You <laughs> You might, like, be like Joan and be a bartender. Or you might, uh, like, be a cashier. Or, in some cases, you might be fortunate enough to be rich. You might be, like, a, like you might own a tech company, or et cetera, et cetera. And so I created the wealth rule to make a, like, a, a way of measuring wealth that better aligned with how, like, more modern systems work.
0: Cool. Yeah, yeah. No, it, it seemed to me like... Although, having heard your background a little bit, maybe not so much, that it maybe was somewhat inspired by the credit rating system that uh, Call of Cthulhu uses, or at least some older versions of Call of Cthulhu
1: I have only tried Call of Cthulhu once, and that was um, actually after I had done some Unseen World bit uh, stuff already, so... It was not based on Call of Cthulhu. It was actually based on the uh, the Dresden files um RPG has a wealth skill as one of the skills you can get, though only loosely based, it was mostly just the general idea of a skill for wealth rather than a set wealth like a a set amount of gold or whatever. Mm-hmm. Just basically, I saw in the Dresden Files RPG that was a thing, and it was like, oh. That makes a lot of sense. I should try that.
0: Yeah, I know uh, Steve, who unfortunately had to step out, um, he actually has a copy of that uh, that we've been meaning to play at some point, but haven't got there yet. But yeah, no, the way I understand it from from having heard you talk about it on the podcast and a little bit around the internet, your wealth system effectively works more or less just like the Genesis skill system, doesn't it?
1: Yep. Yeah, with like different, like a it's it's basically just like your wealth is determined by how many ranks in the wealth skill you have, and um, your presence stat. Though there are or character your presence characteristic. Though there are different uh, talents you can get to switch it around to better represent how you acquired that money. Like cunning for like there's like uh, underworld dealings. I think is one of the talents where it changes it to cunning to represent like. You acquired your money through some underhanded means. Um, and smart investments, a talent that switches it over to intellect to represent, like, you're a tech mogul or something. Like, you got your money through uh, being real real smart with your money. Um, and then, like, there's a unique chart for, like, d- different advantages and threats and despairs and whatnot for it. But, yeah, it's but the base is just, like, how many ranks you have is how wealthy you are.
0: That's really cool. I like that. And the other thing that it does is just eliminates another step of the bookkeeping of playing the game, which look, I'm sure there are people out there who enjoy that, but if I'd have wanted to be an accountant, I would have gone to school for that.
1: <laughs> right. That's very, I feel very much the same way. That's, uh, that's also one of the reasons why I like just Genesis in general is there's less math than other systems. Uh,
0: yeah, well, see, I I have a weird thing where like, I'm I'm competent with math, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, algebra for me was kind of fun, geometry, that kind of stuff. Calculus, on the other hand, makes mm-hmm. absolutely no sense on in this world to me.
1: Yeah, I can algebra, geometry, that's fine, but calculus, please keep it away.
0: Yeah, well, like you know, I I, I still remember that the scenario that sticks in my head was this thing about graphing the equation when your your variable. Tends toward positive or negative infinity, and you ended up with the limit being positive negative infinity, and I went, well, that's what we knew when we started out. Why did we just spend half an hour to figure it out?
1: Yeah, that's great,
0: but yeah, no that, that, i I like that, and I, you know I think it's really cool that you, and also the the way you you know you added the talents or whatever to to reflect a different different source, so to speak. I think that's really neat that's something. I may just start using that in, in, in most of my games in some form or other, just because I don't want to be bothered with the bookkeeping. And, and like you said, you yeah. know, the, the traditional system works great in, in, in fantasy games or, or more maybe adventure based games, but.
1: Yeah. You're, yeah. If you're in a modern ish setting, then it doesn't work quite as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, like I said, my, One of the first games I was ever in a campaign of was actually 5th edition Call of Cthulhu back in the mid-90s. So, you know, showing my age a little bit, but uh, they use a credit rating system, which, as I recall, works fairly similar, where basically, oh, your credit rating's this? Yeah, you can just go get the thing. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, because you know what? Yeah, and then you have the deal where, okay, well, you need to go get this thing. Now, do we just hand wave that you went and bought it or does somebody want to play out? You know, well, we go buy a helicopter. And and it can be fun depending on your group. Some groups really get into all that shopping type stuff. Mm-hmm. Other groups don't want to.
1: Yep. And it also makes it so you actually can, like, role play being a poor character versus being a rich character. Like, if you're going by, like, the standard system, then if you try to roleplay a rich character, then you're kind of, I guess, lying or something? Like, like, you'd have to, like, somehow coerce your GM into giving you more gold than the rest of the party. Or, like, if you wanted to start poor and stay poor, you'd have to, when everyone else is, like, getting gold from the adventure, you'd have to be like, no, I don't want it, want it. Yeah. Whereas this you can if you want to play as a rich character you just invest more experience points into starting out with a higher wealth skill
0: well and i think too what what you've done kind of allows for you to play with that mentality of i'm rich i can just get it Mm -hmm. and i mean look i'm i'm by no means extremely affluent i have a decent job you know i have whatever but Okay, I mean, like, the vehicle I drive to work every day is 17 years old. You know what I mean? Like, I can't just go buy something, you know, significant because I want it. And I think, you know, that mentality is different. And the way that you built this system allows you to play that as part of your character without looking and going, okay, I have this much gold.
1: Yep. Yeah, you can have that be part of how your character is built. And I I like that. And it's fun because you get to show the wealth disparity between characters with the roleplay because that happens, that's one of of the kind of ongoing bits between Joan and Voltaire is that Voltaire is super rich and Joan is not. Joan is a bartender. She's poor. And so the two of them, like, so Voltaire will be like, oh yes, we'll just do this easily. And Joan's like, not everyone is
0: rich, dude. Yeah, let me call my driver.
1: Yeah, like when it, when they're deciding like how to go someplace, like Joan looks at her like beat up old car and's like, "All right, I'm riding with the uh, Eliana in her freaking Tesla or whatever."
0: Yeah, well, see. I I envision Caden driving like an '84 Chevy C10. <laughs> I don't know why. It's just what sticks in my head. I like that, <laughs> like a you know, or that era, you know, like F150 or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, I think that your system really, really allows that to be an element of role play, not just a number on the character sheet. And I think that's really cool. And I think it too, being as you're playing in in Vegas, which I mean, the only thing I know Vegas from is, is the various TV shows I've seen there, but you, you've clearly got the strip and the casino and all the celebrity, but then you've got, you know, some of the stuff that you see, and I know they're still making money because they're they're on tv or whatever but like some of the stuff you see on like the counting cars or um the vegas rat rods that there is a whole other what do you want to call it almost normal people side to vegas in addition to all the high rollers and it's not that far apart at least yeah. that's my impression.
1: yeah we've got like the, the 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 valley has a population of like 2.7 million people like there's a lot more here than just the strip And it's really easy for people to forget that when they don't live here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I think like your system allows that to be reflected. And I think that's awesome.
1: I do. I do love that.
0: Okay. We've talked a little bit about this and a little bit about that and rambled as we do. What else have you done with this that you're really proud of and you'd like to let people know about? Ooh. Or is there something that your players rave about that you don't understand why they do, but they constantly do?
1: There's a few things that I really love about this, about what I've made. But first I want to kind of focus on what I love about what everyone else has made. Like all of the people who play in this campaign are excellent with their like character creation um, in figuring out like connections between each other's characters um, in like their their interactions and their role playing during the game, like they just are absolutely fantastic. Like I've already talked a bit about Baron uh, making Caden, but Caitlin with Eliana, she is she always has like the most unique ideas for characters, and um, she also gets into characters more than anyone I've ever met. I will wake up at like, well, I'll wake up at a, like at my usual time. I sleep like the dead. Nothing will wake me up before, before it's time for me to wake up. But when I wake up, I will often find like 20 plus messages from Caitlin that she sent (laughs) at like 3am about her character or like someone else's character. And she'll just like have this big rambling thing Talking about all of this stuff, getting really excited. And I, it's one of my favorite things to wake up to because it's just, I love seeing that excitement and energy for this thing that we're making. And like, it's absolutely wonderful.
0: That's cool. Yeah. I, I, I haven't gotten the as good of a handle on Eliana yet, but you know, it's, it's, she also seems to be in a lot of ways. Kind of like the hub to the wheel that is the party, if that makes sense,
1: yeah, I like that. That's a good way of saying it,
0: you know, like early on, she's the one who got all the phone numbers, so there's the group text thing going and and whatever, you know,
1: yeah. Eliana is a really deep, like multifaceted character, and she's a bit of a slow burn in like what you find out about her because she has like, secrets, layered on secrets, and the longer you listen, the more you find out about her, and every time you find out something new about her, there's something, there's something beneath that to find out, too, and, like, she, she's so, such a complex character that there's always so much to work with there.
0: Hmm. Okay, now, hopefully I don't sidetrack the previous thing I asked you, but you mentioned this earlier, and, to be completely honest, most podcasts, yeah, we do record a little bit ahead of of what we put out on the air. But it sounds like you guys have a lot of stuff recorded well in advance of of what you're releasing. Because if I'm not mistaken, what to I think the day we're recording this, like the third or the fourth episode of of season two dropped. And from hearing you talk, you're well past that in your in your playing, so to speak. Correct.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, so we are actually currently playing through season three, and we've almost finished season three of The Unseen World. And then we do have, like, entire other, like, campaigns that we kind of have set aside for releasing at a later date.
0: Oh, wow.
1: That, yeah, that kind of, we're actually planning on leaving that to the listeners as to, like, which campaigns are going to release uh we're like going to kind of give them a bit of like uh, several different campaigns and then let them pick which of them uh we like post the whole campaign onto the air i the the unseen world is kind of going to be like the the main campaign for the show Mm -hmm. but there there will be like things where we like we'll, we'll have like off seasons where we'll do um a like a different campaign because each of our other campaigns has been about as long or slightly longer than one season of the unseen world mm-hmm. with the unseen world being the only thing that really goes for a bunch of seasons
0: ah, okay oh that's cool i can't imagine like i know for me because i do our editing and stuff if i have too much stuff sitting unedited it starts to make me twitch what? i can't imagine what what caitlin goes through
1: <laughs> yeah caitlin caitlin is freaking she's like she's the only reason why we have an actual podcast instead of just a bunch of people playing a game <laughs> she's been getting other people like she we've we've been she's gotten the rest of us to slowly start learning how to edit and stuff to kind of take some of the weight off her like Xander, who plays Voltaire, edits a bit now. Um, Baron edits a bit. Um, ben, who is like, he's played in some of our other campaigns, but he doesn't play in the unseen world. Um, he also helps a bit with the editing now. But yeah, Caitlin's still very much the like the main person there.
0: Oh, that's... So let me ask you this, just because, I mean, it's still topical uh listening to to what i have thus far of season 1 that was clearly recorded in person so i'm going to guess that was clearly all pre-pandemic how much of a challenge did that raise to you guys or did you guys transition to playing online in some form or another relatively easily
1: um that was pretty easy um we had already had some of our campaigns at a mix of in person and online Mm -hmm. um, because we had like some of us had different tracks at school so like what other people had as their like in school semester other people had as their off semester okay Um, and so like we had some things where um we had like most of the people in the room, but we had one or two people who were video chatting in. And so we'd already done that a bit. And so it wasn't too hard because we'd already figured out how to get video chat to work for our games. Um, So it was not, it wasn't too difficult to switch into video chatting for, for everyone.
0: Mm -hmm. Now that's like I said that, you know, and I know that may be a little more behind the scenes than a lot of listeners care about, but you know, it, it, I know for me, running games online feels completely different than running them in person. Because even with video conferencing and, and all the wonderful stuff that we have now, you still can't you can't feel the energy at the table the same way.
1: Yeah, it's definitely different. Um, one thing that I really miss doing um, that I used to do, that I did with all of our in person stuff is I like you know how a lot of people use like miniatures. Mm-hmm. for their games, I have been an avid Lego fan since I was a tiny tot. <laughs> um, and I have a decent sized Lego collection that I've gathered over the couple decades of my life. And so I make everyone's character in Lego minifigures.
0: <laughs> That's cool.
1: yeah. and so, and each each campaign before um the pandemic, I would also make different minifigures and stuff for the enemies we would face. Mm -hmm. And I would set up the battles using the minifigures. We had one campaign where we were, uh, it was a seafaring campaign. We were on a ship going from like island to island. And I have a, I have three different Lego ships and I had our ship in Lego. And we, when we had like there, when we had sea battles, I would bring out the other Lego ship and like have like we'd have the sea, like the battles across the boats. One time I tear it like I, I like I also have like Lego monsters and stuff. So there was one time when I brought out a Lego Kraken where we were just kind of <laughs> sailing around art role playing. And then I reach out from under the table and I bring out this Lego Kraken and everyone starts freaking out.
0: That's cool. Yeah, I like that, that.
1: That's the sort of thing I miss being able to do is being able to reach it down under the table and pull out a giant Lego monster that they weren't expecting.
0: <laughs> but see, like, I think that speaks to just the, the wonderfulness that RPGs are that, you know, like you said, you can incorporate your, your love of Legos into it.
1: Yeah, it's great.
0: So you said you're you're you've almost got season three of the unseen world recorded, plus you've got other stuff in the can. So yep. Yeah, so the, the Genesis archive as a podcast is is gonna be around for a while at least. That's oh really yeah. Cool. If,
1: yeah, because we've also got like we've also got plans for two other like off off season campaigns. One a superhero themed one, um, in a like new superhero setting that I created and another in like another, a high fantasy one set in like a kind of a, like an indie game that I, that I've played since I was a kid that I actually got permission from one of the devs of the game to like have the, like their game as a setting on the podcast.
0: Oh, very cool.
1: Yeah. It was, it was super cool. Um, And then I have, like up through season seven planned like the for the unseen world um so not just the podcast but the unseen world specifically has a long shelf life
0: oh gee you i i'm lucky if i have like seven minutes into the session planned when i sit down at the table <laughs> it's yeah just...
1: so uh i when i say planned like it's it's bullet points like i i don't have like the exact words that anyone like that people are going to say and stuff. Like I haven't written out monologues for season six and five and whatnot. Right. Right. But like, I have like all of the, the like main threats, the different major like mythological and folkloric characters we're going to meet the different like aspects of the unseen world. We're going to explore um the different ways the unseen world will change um, as things go on, because mm-hmm. um, as things go on long enough, they the world will not stay the same. Mm-hmm. Um, like big things will will happen that kind of change the kind of the landscape, kind of change the the structure of the world in ways.
0: Well, that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I I've said that I I tend to do my planning in bullet points, but I'm try to be ready to put them in a different gun depending on what the PCs do.
1: Yeah, like I like. For example, I will have like in like if when I when I'm planning out a session, I'll have something like monster attacks PC. Like I'll have like and, and it but it will be like so specifically I'll have like the monster of that episode attacks any of the PCs mm-hmm. and in the session, which PC it attacks will be determined by like where the PCs have kind of situated themselves by that point in the episode. Um in, in the session. There's a lot of flexibility kind of between the bullet points. Um like the monster will attack one of the PCs in that episode, but exactly which PC and in what manner um will very much depend on them.
0: No, that's that's yeah that that in my head, that's a lot of what I try to do. Whether I' quite that successful, I don't know. <laughs> okay. But uh, let me ask you this, because because we're getting to where you know it's it's about that time. Does the show have a website or anything where people go to look more up for it? I mean, I'm going to put a link, you know, to the the podcast feed and whatever in the show notes. But if there's a website, I'd love to put that down too. Anything like that, and you know, we'll link to the setting book you've released on Drive and so forth, and your your Wealth Rules. as well but
1: um no there's not currently a website that is something that we are like considering uh we'd have to figure out exactly like what would be on the website and such i've considered trying to make a wiki but that's too much too much effort Uh, (laughs) um but so we the making a website for the podcast is like something that is still kind of under consideration, but hasn't happened yet. If it does happen.
0: Okay. No, that's, that's fair. I was just throwing it out there. Cause yeah, you know, I know you guys have a discord server cause that's how I ended up finding you directly. And, uh, you know, if anyone wants, wants that, I'm sure they can, they can at least get a hold of me through, you know, the emails and contact information that's in our show notes and, uh, or they can come to our discord server and we'll, we'll get them hooked up one way or another. And um, we
1: have the link to the Discord like uh on Anchor um okay. stuff. So that's there there and all of our social medias um have a link to um the Discord as well. We've got Twitter, um Facebook, Tumblr, YouTube.
0: Yeah, you do release a lot of a lot of stuff on YouTube. I noticed that when I see you post the episodes on on um like the D20 network Discord. Yep. All right. Well, Thank you for taking the time to come talk with us.
1: Yeah, thanks for for bringing me in.
0: Yeah, well, like, I just liked it because as much as urban fantasy isn't particularly my thing, I like to see things where people have kind of taken the common version of something and went a different direction. And I think that's very much what you've done with just what I've experienced of the unseen world so far. And it sounds like you've gone considerably beyond what I've gotten the chance to get through
1: oh yeah there's there's definitely a lot more to the unseen world than <laughs> uh what's what's in the first part of season one
0: so let me ask you this with with all this work that you've you've done, are there plans for like future add-ons to the setting book, either in the form of just revising the file or maybe other supplements to come out?
1: Yeah, so I do little tweaks to the main file every now and and then when I like notice there's a typo or something so that I'm constantly doing little improvements on but for when it comes to big add-ons um I do have several books planned specifically I have one that is called Magic in the Unseen World which is a deep dive into the various magic systems Um, and, like, kind of varieties of magic that exist in the world, and, like, how to integrate them into your own uh, playing. Uh, And then the cities of the unseen world, which is one where I'm going to, where I plan on kind of building out these other cities in the unseen world, cities like New Orleans, um, and showing, like, how they are in the Unseen World. What factions have power in the cities, um, what sort of um, people live there, what kind of magical and supernatural threats exist, um, and kind of different like hooks for why a um, campaign might be set there. And uh, then then the denizens of the Unseen World Which is kind of going to be just a big monster manual-style book where it just is filled with a bunch of different creatures from folklore um, and myth, and different people that and different types of people that belong to the different factions of the unseen world. Factions like the Circle and um, Olympus Industries and the Order of Saint Lucifer. These different factions that kind of run the Unseen World, and then, um, and yeah, and the, just all of the different kind of humans, half-humans, and monsters that populate the Unseen World. I've got a decent bit of those in the core book, but, um, I plan on making denizens of the Unseen World just chock full of tons and tons of different stuff to play with.
0: Well, I mean, just, uh, again, in, in the little bit that I've gotten the time to listen to so far, you've got a whole lot of stuff and and i mean you've literally got years upon years and cultures upon cultures of history to draw from so
1: yeah I, it's it's fun i love it yeah and then i do have a couple other books in the works but uh they're even just their titles are spoilers um oh. because um they are kind of up books that are going to be about the updates to the world like after certain points in the campaign
0: okay like certain what do you want to say key events or whatever
1: yeah they're yeah they're kind of there. there's two main ones that I have planned where that each are kind of focused on how things have changed in the unseen world after these massive events occur
0: very cool very cool well I suppose, as is the way we do things, it sounds like we've, well, actually, before I do all that, is there anything more you'd like to tell anyone about the Unseen World or the Genesis Archive podcast in general?
1: Just if if you like folklore and mythology and vampires, werewolves, demons, fairies, gods, all of that, um, then come on over. We've got all of them and more. And um, and yeah, this this whole this whole world is real has really been a labor of love, and I I would I like to think that shows in in how how it kind of comes out.
0: I would say you know again just based on my listening experience thus far that yeah it, it does show that that you really do get into to all of this and that you're not just taking. You know, like I said before the the classic d and d mythology behind this creature, that creature are just you know the for lack of a better way to say it, the Disney version of Robin Hood or King arthur and and translating that to a game, you've actually gone back and and done some research, and okay, this is what you know you know this story came from. that's what you're using, not the watered down you know et cetera versions of it and yeah i I really think it's neat, so thanks. You're welcome. But uh, any case, with that, I think it's time to do a little thing that uh, we call Game of the Week. Game of the Week.
1: Game of the Week.
0: And I talked, told you a little bit about what that is uh, at the top of the show, or actually not at the top of the show, but before we started recording. Uh, would you like to play Game of the Week with us? Sure. Well, in this case with me, because Steve had to dip out due to some issues, but... Uh, gotcha. In any case... Would you like me to go first so you can kind of get a little bit of a feel for it? Yeah. All right. Well, my game of the week this week is, well, it's sort of a game, but it's actually an adventure or a campaign kind of. Um, It's listed as the E-A-B-A or Regnum. Uh, what it is, it is actually a, a kind of a a campaign sort of thing, and it is written for a specific rule set which is this E-A-B-A system. However, it is also written to be a system agnostic campaign or setting for you to play in. And I'm just going to read the the first part of the drive-through listing for it because that explains it better than most of my rambling. It says, There was a world much like ours, where brave men and women worked in the shadows, fighting against an enemy the rest of the world either did not see or did not believe in. Over generations, their best and brightest fought and died to protect Earth and gave humanity a safe and prosperous future. This is not that world. (laughs) In Eregnum, they lost and the bad guys won. Human civilization headed downhill fast, and the evil previous generations fought holds all the cards. You are the last resistance. While you are neither the best nor the brightest, you are what's left. And what this is is really, it's it's not uh, a story about the golden age of a civilization. It's not a post-apocalyptic setting. It's the apocalypse. You know, like it's it's when the poop hit the fan. Nice. Um, and the idea of playing in that kind of, you know, that kind of a circumstance or a setting that just seems really intriguing to me. And I mean, the PDFs 15 bucks, uh, right. actually, Oh wow. It just came out last month too. Oh, I didn't wow. realize that, but the, the publisher is a company called BTRC. And you know, like always we'll, we'll link that in the, uh, in the show notes for people to find. Yeah. Like I said, this, this looks like, and, and, you know, because it is designed to be kind of system agnostic, you know, it, it actually says in the listing, somewhere i think that uh essentially as long as yeah any rpg which handles modern combat or near future sci-fi can run in a regnum campaign so you know if you like genesis or savage worlds or whatever your your system of choice is you can probably make this work and like i said i think it's just a real neat space to explore and additionally there is in the in the preview the whole first chapter of the document so you can really get a feel for for what it is before you you put down any money, which I think is really neat. Cool. That
1: does sound really neat.
0: That would be my game of the week. Uh, I know it kind of hits you cold with this, but do you have anything? <laughs>
1: uh, so just like a interesting like game or system? Well, or
0: something yeah, something like that. I mean, like you mentioned that that one that you're adapting the setting possibly for future unseen world. I don't want you to spoil anything, but you know, that type of thing or something you played, you know, a while back and just want to let people knows out there.
1: Yeah. So, um, I am a fan of the Dresden files RPG, largely because, uh, I'm a fan of the Dresden files books, but it is, um, a, rpg it's it's based off the dresden files books which is a book series about a wizard who works as a private investigator in chicago um Mm -hmm. and has um a lot of like adventures he has adventures with like a holy warrior who wields a sword made from like one of the nails from the like from the cross and uh fights vampires and werewolves and all sorts of stuff like that. And um, the Dresden Files RPG is based off of Fate. Um, It's like uses the Fate dice and stuff, Mm -hmm. um, but is like altered from Fate to better fit the um, feel of the Dresden Files as a whole. Um, And it's got some really fun stuff, especially if you want to play as like a supernatural type entity where you can really get that supernatural vibe Where with being ridiculously strong or fast or whatever, um, or throwing magic around. And it's uh, it's very fun. Um, I do, I have gotten uh, uh, absorbed into Genesis um, since Genesis came out, but, but I had a lot of fun with the Dresden Files RPG uh, as well before then.
0: You know what? I mean, my thing is like, right, I think Genesis is amazing and I haven't learned it as well as I'd like to yet, but sometimes... You want to play in something, and if there's something already out, that's a lot of work you don't have to do to put it into your preferred system.
1: That is true. And yeah, The, the Dresden Files it are, it is a great book series, and if you like that, then The Dresden Files RPG is a great way to kind of hop into that world.
0: Well, that's really cool.
1: I like that.
0: I think, like I said, I think, uh, the other Steve already has a copy of that. So
1: cool. Yeah. to let me know how, what you think about it after you test it out.
0: Cool. All right. Well, I guess then with that, uh, we're pretty much wrapped up. Anything more you'd like to say?
1: Nope. I think that's it.
0: All right. Well then, uh, I would like to thank you for taking the time to come talk with us. And, uh,
1: thanks for having
0: me. Yeah. Steve said to tell you thanks as well, but, um, I guess then with that, just really quickly if anyone you know wants to contact us here at me and Steve all the links for the various social media the discord Twitter Facebook and so on it's in the show notes and I think there's a little bit of it in uh, in the outro to the show but uh, with that just like to remind you all to be kind to one another and go play some RPG intro and outro music by the band 12 noon you can email us at me and steve at gmail.com to find us on twitter at and rpgs find us on facebook at me and steve rpg podcast on discord at me and steve rpgs and as always all of these links are in the show notes thank you and be kind to one another Cigar, cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You gotta go down the street to the store and buy that. Oh, Craig just didn't even bother to show up. He just (laughs) like last week. Yeah, he's just (sighs) giving up. Well, that's <laughs> why we, we use G-Arc. <laughs> that, was why, that was why we have that one blooper that is just us insulting Craig for 10 minutes. Nice. <laughs> Actually, that one hasn't aired yet. <laughs> yeah, it uh, has. It was at the end of our most recent episode. It was at the end of the Alignments episode when we were laughing. It? Yeah. Okay. All right. yeah, it was. Okay, you're right. Okay. <clears throat> All um, right, we ready to rock and roll then? Ready. I'm ready. Okay. Uh, three, two, one. Our D20 podcast is a network pod. Blah, 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 blah.